What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. I am joined with my co-host in Boston, Dave Martinson. Dave, what's going on, man? That's me. Back for the culture, baby. In the bean town. You're now a Red Sox fan, a Celtic fan, and a Patriots fan. I, I'm very excited for you. Todd Frazier? <laughs> yeah. Todd Frazier news breaking on the Nostalgia Pod, traded to Boston Red Sox. He's no Clint Frazier, I'll tell you that. Glorious red hair. So, we have a lot to catch up on. We gave you our weekly, or our, I guess, half-year look at culture with our mid-year awards. We gave you our Game of Thrones preview, so we have a lot to catch up on. You can check those out at soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. I guess for as long as SoundCloud is still around, though, Dave, because uh, over the weekend, it came out that SoundCloud was going to run out of money, basically, by the end of the year. They had a huge layoff, and then Chance the Rapper is like, nah, homie, I love SoundCloud. Dropped uh, Big B's with Young Thug, and then he gave them a call and was like, we got this, guys. And they basically said, okay, but uh, I don't know if I believe it. Is SoundCloud doomed? I mean, yeah, SoundCloud rep basically confirmed that Chance was just spreading good vibes and wanted to help them out, but it wasn't like he was giving them a quarter worth of funding or anything. And the song he did put up with uh, with Thugger did not have a good mix and wasn't really that good of a song. And it only got like a million streams, but if SoundCloud doesn't know how to make their money, I don't, it doesn't matter how many streams it gets anyway. Yeah, I don't think SoundCloud's doom. I think SoundCloud is destined to be bought by somebody else because... Similar like Twitter, another really useful platform that struggles with revenue, it's too important to just die off, and especially to the music game. Like We talked about SoundCloud rappers before, but it really kind of revolutionized the way musicians can get discovered. Like Bryson Tiller, for example, probably wouldn't be around if he didn't have a SoundCloud buzz that people found and then that got him his record deal. And even someone like Chance himself, that's probably why he's so you know enthusiastic about keeping SoundCloud up is because... Acid rap being spread on SoundCloud was a big part of his come up, so I think someone has to buy it though, because I'm not surprised that they're having trouble uh, with their funding. But you know, it is what it is. They need someone to jump in. Yeah, I have no idea who that would be at this point. But SoundCloud is way too important, especially for like young startups, people who are just trying to get their their name out there. It's where everybody goes. SoundCloud is a well-known platform. It just can't monetize itself very well. So it's too bad, but. There's a lot of new music out there, you know, just to kind of run through a couple. St. Vincent's back. She hasn't dropped a a song since, what, 2015, when her album was uh, revered as one of the best of the year. Who else has dropped new music? Looking at Lana Del Rey. Yeah, her new album's coming uh, Friday. Yeah, this is Friday's actually really big release date, so uh, do your homework for next week. Tyler, the creator, Scumfuck Flower Boy, I think is the title. It's already leaked. I haven't listened to it yet. Lana Del Rey with her fifth album. Didn't know she had that many. Yo, Lana Del Rey, real quick. Her song is called Summer Bummer. She has a song called Summertime Sadness. I am... Okay, well, actually, I should say, Summer Bummer is way better than Summertime Sadness, in my opinion. ASAP is great on it. But I'm fucking done with Lana Del Rey, bro. Like... Is Summer Bummer the one with just ASAP? She released two. One of them has Rocky and Cardi. But it's just Cardi doing ad-libs in the background. But, like... Similar to, similar to everyone featuring Migos, you're really going to ride Cardi's buzz for ad-libs? You're going to sell yourself out for that just for some extra streams? I, I'm like, pretty sure Summer on. Bummer's the one with, with ASAP only, but that other song sounds terrible. I didn't even listen to that one yet. 
Yeah, it's not that good. Yeah, I'm so don't. I never liked her. I never thought she was that. You know. What's the? I don't really understand the appeal. I guess. No, that's See, weird. What else is out there right now? Also, Friday, Foster the People's third album comes out, Sacred Hearts Club, I believe. They've released, I think, almost six tracks already from it, and it's definitely a departure from their sound from uh, Pumped Up uh, Torches and uh, Supermodel. So interesting to see how that's received. Uh, you know, indie bands always change over time. We talked about that on our rock pod. So and that's an important release for them. And also a smaller release that I'm pretty sure you're not aware of, uh, Nick at Night comes out on Friday. That's Kirk Knight and Nick Caution, two rappers from Pro Era, Joy Badass's crew. So I'm going to definitely check that out. We yeah, have a big day for music, 717. Definitely like, like the, the, the... Or 721, sorry. Yeah, also I just want to shout out Demi, uh, Demi Lovato, Kesha. Uh, both dropping singles, impending albums. Nine Inch Nails been dropping singles. They'll be performing at Panorama in a couple weeks, and I believe they have an album coming out, I think, in August. Jack Johnson also released a mm-hmm. single. And uh, there's this like acoustic singer, actually, Sean Fennessy from The Ringer, uh, tweeted out one of her songs, and I checked it out, and I, I got into her new album. It's pretty good. Uh, her name is Waxahatchee. I don't have the album name off the top of my head, but if, you're, if you go on Spotify, you can find it pretty easily. Definitely check her out. She seems to be a pretty intriguing artist up and coming. Did you listen to that Calvin Harris album? I did, yeah. It's, I think, only 10 tracks, but it's, uh, it is what it is. I, actually, I, I like the, uh, the song with Schoolboy Q, Act. You don't even like I don't. House. I usually don't like House, but Calvin Harris is different because he's much more like House Pop, much more mainstream. I like the kind of features he does. Like Slide, I think, is a good song. The song with Schoolboy Q on this new album, I think, is really good as well. But then you also have songs like the one with Nicki Minaj, where Nicki just phones in a really basic verse. So, I, again, it's a hit-or-miss project, but if you want to vibe to it at the pool, I think you'll be happy with it. Yeah, I listened to a couple of them. He has some really interesting features, like Beyonce and Jay-Z on a song, I, I believe. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think Beyonce's kind of in the background, but yeah. I mean, it's cool to see. Interesting. Yeah, everybody wants to work with them, but the album was a, very underwhelming, in my opinion. But it is Also, one, yeah, also French Montana released an album uh, kind of out of nowhere. There's not a whole lot of buzz with that. Also, same thing with a Meek Mill album that's coming out this Friday. Friday 20. What about 21, though? Speaking of 721, 21 Savage released his debut album, Issa Album, which is fucking awesome. Yeah, Dude, Bank that. Account is his highest charting song from that album. That's a great song. Like, there, I, there's, I think, probably three songs on Issa Album that are just, like, 21 Savage at his best. And, like, this is, like, that five-star GTA music that make you want to commit felonies music. I'm really happy that it's good because... When we talked about 21 Savage last year as a freshman, and since then, we never really thought much of him because he's, you know, just a typical, really violent past gangbanger guy. But yeah, the music is growing, and I'm really happy that it's good. So definitely check out his album, at least uh, dive into the singles. Bank account's awesome. Good recommendation right there. How about, uh, how about somebody who maybe isn't releasing music right now? Still a star, Kanye West, pulling out of his exclusive deal with Tidal. I mean, him and Jay-Z got beef. Yeah. Kill Jay-Z. You don't want to go Eric Benet. We heard all about it. From everything I've gathered and everyone's reported on, I think it's a money thing more than anything. I think Kanye was very happy to be part of Tidal when he thought it was money going more money to the artists, just like everyone else thought. But uh, whatever, I think this is another... I will not say it's a nail in Tidal's coffin, but people only sign up for Tidal or get those free trials when big event albums come out, like The Life of Pablo or 444. So... If Kanye's not going to be dropping on title, he'll be on Apple Music and Spotify like all normal people. 
you know, again, titles, subscribers are, I think, like, 10 million, maybe, which is, like, 25 million less than Spotify, so they got a lot of catching up to do, which I don't think is going to happen, and Kanye's certainly not helping the matters now. How much is it? Is is it 15? I believe it's 15, then if you want, like, you can get a premium subscription, 30 bucks, but... I'm pretty sure all you get is, like, better audio quality, which, to most people who are listening, you're not even going to be able to know. Exactly, yeah. You would need the speakers or the headphones to even notice that, and you'd have to be an audiophile to even care about it. So, yeah. So, to wrap up just our our brief news segment, Disney uh, had a big event over the weekend with Marvel. We'll be talking probably a little bit more about some of those... those new that new D23. They announced some some interesting casting. So for the Lion King, let's start there. Hugh Jackman, man, Scar. Long live the king. Awesome, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Irons was awesome as Scar back in the day, but I think Hugh Jackman is a great choice as well. And then uh, John Oliver as uh, Zazu. Perfect. I mean, he basically looks like Zazu. Yeah, I mean, who who was it orig- originally? Uh, I don't know. I don't even remember. But I mean, from what. Word out of D23 Expo was that they showed the circle of life scene from the live-action Lion King movie, and it looked spectacular, so not that we're surprised. Yeah, that, everything we heard from it, it sounds like it's going to be awesome, so very much looking forward to that. And what about, um, by the way, Zazu was played by Rowan Eckman. Oh, okay, cool. So, Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what about Aladdin? There have been rumors that they're having a tough time casting it, and they basically casted two no-names. One one no-name. Yeah, one no-name for Aladdin and one not as well-known, but kind of well-known. I don't know. I never Rising, rising, sorry. Naomi Scott was in Power Rangers and Uh, was was kind of rising since then. And then uh, who's the guy playing Aladdin? Uh, Masad, I think is his last name. Masood, he's he's an Egyptian fellow. Naomi Scott is Indian descent, but she's British. People were calling it out that it's not quite the perfect casting you know how that goes but then the retort is well Agrabah is a fictional land that is somewhere set in the Middle East in Aladdin shore but also has a castle looks like the Taj Mahal and they have a tiger so it's I think just as as Southeast Asian as it is Middle Eastern either way I think it'll be okay because it's not like Aladdin in the beginning was this great uh, harbinger of people of color in the first place. It had all white voice cast back in the day. So, and the guy, the the genie this time is Will Smith. So that that'll be interesting. Maybe Will Smith will finally be in a damn hit. <laughs> well, he was in Suicide Squad. Yeah, that made money. I guess that counts for something. And Oscars. Let's not forget. True, but you know, for uh, I think Aladdin, the thing that they had to hit more than anything was genie. And I think Will Smith is actually a good move for them because with Robin Williams dying within the last, what, like three years, and basically how that was, that's well-known as one of the best voice performances of all time, they had to pick somebody who was going to bring a different vibe than a comedian who could basically fit a Rob, Robin Williams-like role. And Will Smith will be perfect for that, you know. He's goofy, but he'll be able to uh, bring his own spin. So some optimism on the Disney castings. Not perfect, but doing pretty well. A perfect episode of TV was Game of Thrones, Season 6, Episode 10. What did you think of Dragonstone, Season 7, Episode 1? I thought it was really good. I, th- I liked it a lot. Did you think it was perfect? Uh, I mean... It's as perfect as an opening. For a, for a premiere, I don't have any, any qualms with it, so, I mean, I guess so, yeah. Uh, it was cool seeing... Ar- spoilers, it was cool seeing Arya finish off the phrase. I actually didn't think that was going to happen. I thought she was just content to kill 
you know, Walder, but... Nah, she's out for blood, Yeah, bro. I didn't didn't see that coming, but that's one way to wipe them completely off the board, is to literally kill, assumingly, most of the important men that were left. And then, I mean, Danny Landing, we talked about this in our preview, SoundCloud Econ slash Nostalgia Pod, get it while it's, SoundCloud still exists. We talked about Danny Landing on Dragonstone, that was really obvious, plus the episode title kind of gave it away. And then Euron and uh, Cersei happening right away. What do you think Euron's gift is going to be that he's going to bring back to Cersei to prove his loyalty? Got to be something to kill a dragon, right? Yeah, people are throwing out the dragon horn from the books. Yeah. Uh, I could see you know, whether he has it or not, or we'll see him go get it in Valyria, who knows. Was it just me, or did Euron's outfit seem to like be a lot of place? Like, I kind of wanted those. That It was a nice get-up. Yeah, they, uh, they talked about this before the season started, that Euron would be uh, hotter and... Uh, <laughs> little or edgy or whatever and yeah he's got like a little eyeliner action going on and uh, some nice yep. shoulder pads and leather jacket yeah <laughs> yeah he's coming right at jamie too with the two hands coming. yeah yeah Man. yeah i thought it was pretty funny it's fucking brutal yeah now it set up good conflict i mean I, the thing is i don't know how long cersei's gonna be on this show perhaps she is done by halfway through the season remember it's only a seven episode season six weeks left maybe by two more episodes yeah maybe. be something um, also, shout out the Hound digging the grave. Nice little shout out to all the book readers, the Grave Digger. That was really cool. But yeah, good premiere. I cannot wait. I want to say an opposite of a shout out to Ed Sheeran. Fuck that. <laughs> I didn't yeah. mind it as much as everyone had... else, to be honest. It's getting, it's getting I think, overhated, to be honest. him just be in the scene and not actually be singing, it would have been a lot better. But they actually made him sing in the scene. It's just like, come on, bro. Really? All right, counter. What if Conor McGregor is wrestling someone when he shows up? What if Noah Syndergaard is, like, throwing a javelin? Then would you care? Let's bring these cameos in and have them play to their strengths. I think it's kind of funny. Having Ed Sheeran say, like, two lines? I don't know. I didn't mind. Then this watching him kind of, like, look at the other dudes, not really say anything besides, like, huh, or yeah. Like, it's pretty good. King's Landing, yeah, that sucks. I, I, I liked it. I thought it was okay. I guess so. The, the, the Noah Syndergaard thing just makes me think of super uh, Anchorman when he throws the trident. Like, that's all I imagine. That looking at. But, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, McGregor's cameo will be interesting, because he's, he's a lot. When they're doing this ridiculous promotional tour for his fight with Floyd, I think it was the second stop, which got, like, the most, like, memes out of it, when he has the mic and he's like, does this mic work? And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, good well fuck that mic and i was like that's us that's that's every podcaster (laughs) (laughs) fuck that mic (laughs) sorry fuck that mic my bad if you want to follow more tweets like that at martin swagger for david i saw that tweet is very very funny dave i didn't listen to 444 i had uh i i don't have i don't bootleg well i didn't either but i listened to it some other way you know, I had, a, I had one too many uh, run-ins with LimeWire back in the day, so I'm very cautious now about what I download. It's not, it's not a thing. <laughs> Come on. So, uh, give me your, your review of Jay-Z's. Well, people are saying it's Jay-Z's best album since, what, Blueprint? Yeah, it's, it's, re- it's really good, right? Not to bury the lead. And then the question is, it's his best album since when? Better than Magna Carta, Holy Grail? No doubt. Better than Blueprint 3? No doubt. The first choice you have with, you know, actually something you could, you know, debate... Is American Gangster, which came out in 07. Fun fact, that's Kevin Durant's favorite Jay-Z album. I still remember that. I think he tweeted that a long time ago. I would say it's more focused than American Gangster and better. Therefore, 
it's and then it's obviously better than Kingdom Come. His comeback album in 06, that album's fucking horrible. So it's probably his best album since the Black Album, unless you unless you really loved Collision Course with Linkin Park. That was that's an awesome flat album. I wouldn't count that. Awesome album. <laughs> and obviously we're not counting Watch the Throne right. here either. Yeah, Watch the Throne's really awesome. Album. Obviously. So uh, people were saying that this was a good album because what he talked about how you should invest your money or something like that. <laughs> well, that's on the story of OJ. That's a song you can listen to on YouTube because he has a, a video. He also has a video for the title track, so you can check those out for uh, for no charge, my friend. But uh, the reason people like it so much is... Uh, let's harper back to what we said a few weeks ago when we were talking about this album when it officially got unveiled, right? Jay-Z is... What is he? 47? Is he 50 now? He, 47, I think. He's an, old, he's an old man, and as we were saying... What more does he have left to say? What more can I say of killing? Why would I want to listen to a Jay-Z album Yeah, in 2017? Like, what do I need from Jay-Z? He's not active in the hip-hop scene. He doesn't do the features. He's been a unrelatable, multi-millionaire mogul guy for, like, 15 years. And now he's becoming a family man. Like, there's nothing left to say. Victory has defeated him, if you want to put it that way. But, shout out that Elevator gave us Solange's album, Lemonade, and this, we finally have substance for Jay-Z to actually talk about, but what's refreshing is he's not trying to chase what's hot right now, chase the trends. He's not trying to use trap beats and be like Travis Scott or Migos or Future, you know, people that set setting the wave right now. He's not trying to do that. He's just kind of like, it's, it's effectively a retirement album. He's kind of just reflecting back on a bunch of stuff. He talks about race and... Uh, how black people are viewed on the story of OJ. I think that's a really strong song. He talks about uh, new rappers and how he makes fun of all the dumb shit they do uh, on Moonlight. Then, of course, he also addresses his infidelity, which he blatantly uh, acknowledges and just kind of tears himself down for like the whole song and a few songs on the album. So it's great that he actually had substance to get to. And I'm actually impressed about songs like the story of OJ because he's never really had much to say about anything that serious like yeah he remixed my president is black that's a young jeezy song he's friends with the obamas and has done stuff with them but he's never really had much to say and it's not so much that he says like these grand statements this time around but what he does say i think really works and it also helps that no id executively produced the album really tight clean production and it's just a great 35 minutes. It doesn't have bangers, you know, it, it's just it's just the songs. It's, it's a retirement album, is how I put it. One of the things that I guess what I was thinking about, what could, what probably made this album good and what everything I kind of read about it was kind of basically what you said, that his, what he was actually talking about just fit more for where he's at in his life and he actually had some substance behind it. I was watching The Defiant Ones, the documentary series on HBO about... Uh, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre, how they came to become two basically moguls in the music genre, uh, music, music industry, and Eminem was on it, but he wasn't on it until the last episode, and there's four episodes, and I was thinking, because Jul- I watched it with my girlfriend Julianne, she said, I can't wait to see Eminem. I said to her, I was like, why are you so excited for Eminem? She's like, well, I, I loved his first couple albums. I'm like, right, you don't really listen to anything else. He raps about the same shit 
he raps about the same shit, and that that's exactly what happens to a lot of rappers. They don't actually find anything interesting to say past their younger years. Dr. Dre talks about that, how rap's a young man's game. That's why he hasn't released uh, Detox. It's, it's done. It's canceled. It's good that, that Jay-Z was able to recognize that and find a, a voice that actually people want to hear and make sense for where he's at in his life. So, it's exciting for him. Let's talk about this, this Haim album, though. You listen? I did. What'd you think? Something to tell you, Dave. It's a good album. I thought it was fine. It's, uh... Oh! No! no. I, are there any great songs? Are they all just good? Or okay? Oh. Are there any great songs? Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, Want You Back, I think, is a really good song. That That is one I of think, the best ones. I honestly think I will, something to tell say. you. Little Of Your Love was pretty upbeat. I like that. Yeah. Uh, little of Your Love is a good one. Uh, honestly, I think those first, like, four or five songs all are pretty good. It gets a little bit strange. Uh, the production's a little odd in the middle and, and right near the end, I think. But overall, I thought the album flowed pretty good. I think it's very top-heavy. The best songs are in the beginning, and then it kind of blends blends together and peters out at the end, yeah. What I do respect about this Heim record is that it's kind of just a continuation, mini-evolution of what they did in their first album, but they didn't sacrifice for a crossover so long, try and get on radio, and you can check the charts because they didn't they didn't do do like big numbers or anything. They just kind of just kind of made their late '70s sound, you know. They're just kind of doing what they do, so it's tough tough to really fault them for that. I just I guess I was just kind of hoping for a bigger step as opposed to like another just another step, if you know what I'm saying. The interesting thing about Haim or Haim, I guess, is uh, I think that what they do in terms of blending pop and rock while also staying true to both forms is pretty impressive, and no one really sounds like them, at least in my opinion. I can't really think of a band where I listen, I'm like, oh, that reminds me of Haim. I listen to them, and I think I can hear Fleetwood Mac in there. Uh, actually, I think it's a heavy Fleetwood Mac influence, and it makes oh, sense. Oh, yeah, that's obvious, yeah. Because uh, Stevie Nicks actually pulled them aside before they started writing this album and basically was like, this is how I wrote Rumors, you should do the same exact thing, and they actually did, apparently in terms of how they wrote their songs. So uh, I think I think this is a very good album. If I had to like, give it a, a grade, it'd probably get like a B plus, A minus. But I, w- I would say, lyrically, it's generic. That's, that, that, that's a good way to put my critique. I think the songwriting did not step up much. So that's why it kind of feels like more of the same. Yeah, it's, more than it's still a heartbreak, breakup type album. So yeah, I guess I would agree with that. Overall, I think it's just a lot of fun to listen to. You Never Knew, I think, is one of the songs that will be overlooked, but it's a really good song this album. So check that out. You can also find any songs we talk about and we think are the best songs of the year on Spotify. You can either search My Name Patrick Sheehan, or you can search uh, Nostalgia Best of 2017. It's also directly linked at our SoundCloud and YouTube pages for your convenience. And on my Twitter, pinned at the top. Sheeny World Peace. Check it out. So, moving on, though, to some movies. Good time for movies. You've seen, what, 12 this year, you said? Correct. It's crazy. Like, 12, 12 2017 movies. I didn't count Passengers or Silence, which I both saw in January, even though they're 2016 films. So. And we got... Technicality. We got Dunkirk coming out Thursday, Baby Driver next week? Is that correct? No, no. Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde. Oh, my God, yeah. Atomic Blonde. Basically, you feel like, like the same movie, but Atomic Blonde looks fucking awesome. It does, and the reviews are stellar, so I'm stoked. Can't wait to see it. Uh, well, uh, did you see Baby Driver? Of course. What'd you think? Baby Driver is excellent, man. Really yeah, liked Ansel it. Ansel Elgort. Really liked it. We'll get to Ansel Elgort, but I just, <laughs> I, I just wanted to say that Edgar Wright, we've talked about Edgar Wright in terms of turning down Ant-Man, 
but he's he's an exciting filmmaker just because he doesn't compromise uh, his style of filmmaking. And in Baby Driver, you really can see it. I mean, obviously he has his reputation for great soundtracks, and that's obviously a big part of Baby Driver uh, specifically. But the way he shoot, shot his car chases was very, very unique. Like, just think of the way Fast and Furious does car chases, which still has lots of, like, big tracking shots and explosions, but Baby Driver felt uh, really practical because it, it was really practical, and just the way he threw amazing, like, ridiculous car stunts into that very first scene uh, really set the tone for the movie. And, yeah, I mean, some of this, the script is not, like, super amazing. I think that's one of the weaker aspects of the movie, but I still, it's probably my number two movie of the year at this time. Behind Logan. Number two movie of the year is a pretty strong statement, especially because uh, we're going to talk about Spider-Man in a second. I thought that was excellent. Baby Driver, you know, I came out of it where I felt I had a lot of questions, things that I, I thought maybe were overlooked, didn't make sense. But I thought it was a really enjoyable film. And I guess it's... Exactly. It's just right. pleasurable experience. Um, Very charming. That's the thing is I can overlook Ansel Elgort basically just having to be very, I don't know, quiet throughout the film, just kind of be very introverted. Idiosyncratic. Yeah, that's a good word for it. And some of the the more outlandish things, like Kevin Spacey, I feel like his character, what? <laughs> well, I was I was very happy to see Kevin Spacey doing something in a movie that was actually that. like worth a damn for once. Yeah. Or not for once, but in a long time, because Frank Underwood isn't really Kevin Spacey. That's such a ridiculous character that Kevin Spacey plays. So it's good to actually see Kevin Spacey get more to the way he actually acts. Like, think of Usual Suspects. Like he's a really good, specific actor, and Frank Underwood's so much different than that. So I, I enjoyed that. But yeah, the cast in general, I think, was uh, really strong. Lily James and Ansel Elgort had awesome chemistry. But John Hamm, man, got had a cool haircut. He basically became like Terminator John Hamm there at the end. Just couldn't, he just wouldn't die. Fucking awesome. Dickhead, crazy Jamie Foxx. <laughs> you knew he was going to stab Baby in the back at oh, one yeah. point and still was surprising when it happened. And also, shout out the fucking Don John Bernthal. I love that guy. Yeah, he's he was awesome. Good. He's really great. Well, I, I think one of the other things about this movie that I really enjoyed was just the, the soundtrack, even though it's a lot of songs people probably don't know or haven't really heard before, just fits the tone of the movie wherever you're at so well. I also shout out Edgar Wright putting in a Beck song called Deborah, which I just like started, I just heard about three months ago, listening to an old Beck album. I think it was, what, Midnight Vultures that's off of? Fucking awesome song. And when it came on, I was like, yes! So pumped. Yeah, I mean, if you read any, like, backlash to the film, I think one of the... It's kind of like a fake criticism, but one of the criticisms is that Baby, it's not so much that he has music taste, he just likes consensus B-sides. So, yeah. like, deep, quote, deep cuts that are awesome and people that know about him love. That's right. what Baby baby liked to listen to. But either way, the fact <laughs> that, like, also, shout out to iPod, bringing back, some, having multiple iPods, something that's so foreign these days. Yeah. But the music was so integral to the character and made the soundtrack's strength, the strength of the soundtrack, that much better because they were so important to the movie, uh, all the cues and whatnot. It was a heist movie with a love story in it, and I think it just, it really works. And it's an original story which in the world of never-ending IP is really refreshing. Edgar Wright has a unique point of view, and it's a fun point of view. Not an original story, though. Spider-Man. 
Where was it? I guess it was. I think it, it's an original spin on Spider-Man, giving us stuff we haven't gotten before, and that's why it's so awesome. Yeah, it's a Spider-Man Homecoming, directed by John Watts. It's crushing right now, making a lot of money. What, $470 million worldwide? Right, but it actually had, which this is interesting, we'll get to this now, it had Marvel's worst second weekend drop ever, Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is crazy because it has an A cinema score and like a 93-ish on RT. So it's getting, like, does anyone, you know anyone who doesn't like this movie? Everyone likes it, the critics like it. Why did it drop so much? I think part of it is because Planet of the Apes was a big hit the week after, but also Marvel's never released a hit in July, and I think July movies just don't have the tales. Yeah, I don't think that, I mean, it obviously says something about in, in terms of how much money it's making, but in terms of looking at it as a movie, I think it just came out at a bad time. War of the Planet of the Apes is... People are talking about it a lot. There's also just a lot of different movies out right now at the theater, and summer is tough. I mean, people want to go inside, but, you know, that that old, like, saying, like, what, people go to the movies to get out of the heat, no one really does it anymore. Like, no one needs to go <laughs> to the movie theater for air conditioning. So, it, people are probably just doing other stuff. I don't I don't really feel too worried about that. Tom Holland's a, a goddamn star as Spider-Man. Very charming. Played the role perfectly. Both a great Spider-Man and a great Peter Parker. Part of that is the way he plays Peter Parker, and part of the way Peter Parker in Homecoming is written as a, you know, actual teenager in a believable high school setting that has so much of it take place in and around the high school. That really gets back to what makes Peter Parker Peter Parker. Um, but yeah, Tom Holland, he's so, so charming, he's funny, and he's great in the action. Like, n nothing bad to say, but I'm so excited that he will be able to keep playing the role. Isn't what, what makes Peter Parker the origin story, though? Seeing uh, Uncle Ben die, being told that mm. you know, a lot of power comes with a lot of responsibility, that, that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Uncle Ben's name isn't even mentioned, right? Homecoming is a sterling example of not needing an origin story when the origin story is familiar, or in this case, been done a million times. Matt Reeves, in his press for War from Planet of the Apes, has said that they don't need to do an origin story for the Batman, because people fucking know it, and it's not interesting, I'll take away from the movie. So Homecoming, not doing the origin story, we got our soft introduction in Civil War, which is played back through Peter's eyes in Homecoming, which I thought was excellent. It's, it's great <laughs> that they didn't have to do that. So I guess, to just kind of break it down a little bit, this had a, a really awesome cast. Some young upcoming stars like Tom Holland's Zendaya, older liables like Gwyneth Paltrow, who was in it for like, what, two seconds? What, one scene. Robert Downey Jr. was in, yeah, was in it pretty consistently. Jon Favreau as Happy. But Michael Keaton, man, that guy, he he's great when he plays a, a superhero or supervillain with wings. <laughs> just fantastic. Yeah, I think Vulture, Michael Keaton obviously played Vulture excellently. And the script really used him well. The scene where Peter goes to the door to take Liz to homecoming yeah. dance. Did, I didn't see that coming. Looking back, it was obvious. I guess it was obvious, but didn't see that coming. And then when you realize, oh, wait, he didn't kidnap her. He's literally her fucking dad. This is awesome. And then they have that, that whole car ride as Keaton figures it out. It was done so well. Yep. And not only that, Vulture had motivations that were believable and relatable or exactly. even at least understandable you know and mcu's largely struggle with their villains because it's tough to have great villains when your heroes are going to keep making it uh, loki's really the only exception so i think he's 
easily the second best MCU villain. I would agree, especially because every villain in the Marvel Universe, their motivation seems to be, I just want to destroy the world. I just want to destroy the universe. I want to bring yeah. ter- terror. It's there's never yeah or something like that. Like I want to get rich and destroy you. You know whatever. Right, exactly. They're, it's always kind of vague. They had very specific reasons to do what they were doing. Though. Also, also something I like. So Vulture is one of many of Spider-Man's rogues, right? His his bad guys. But l- largely, Spider-Man's bad guys are a bunch of goons. They're a bunch of dumb thugs, right? With the exception of, like, Harry Osborn. So having Bokeem Woodbine just be the shocker, just yeah. be a goon, and then having Michael Mando, Nacho from Better Call Saul, have a soft intro as Scorpion, and we get that confirmed in the post credit scenes when you see the tattoo. Yeah, these are just criminals that have these dumb names because they have these dumb powers or these dumb devices, and it's a great way to bring more villains into the story but not feel like you're over-cramming it because they're seedless villains. You don't need to do that much with them. But yeah, shout out our guy, Bokeem Woodbine, getting a check. Yeah, man. Also, uh, Gilfoyle from... Um, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the show right now. Cause Freaks in... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, Silicon well, Valley. Martin Starr yeah. was in Freaks and Geeks as a kid yep. with John Francis Daly, who helped write the script. But so I think that was a little cool. When I, when I figured out it was Bokeem Woodbine, I, I was like, why do I know this guy? And then I was like, wait, that's definitely Bokeem from uh, season two, Fargo. Yes, Mike Milligan. Uh, this is, uh, great, great cast, deep in so many different ways. So. Also, another way Homecoming was familiar yet different was Flash, uh, Peter's bully, wasn't just a jock like he always is this time. It was Tony Rivolori from the Grand Budapest Hotel, who was just like the, the, the nerd bully, you know? He was just... He was just the king of the nerds, like, and he was, he, he was, he did great, and, like, you had Kenneth Choi as, uh, the principal briefly, a little callback to Captain America, he was in, a uh, Wolf of Wall Street, so, yeah, the bench was super freaking deep, and let's not forget the goat Donald Glover. Yep, getting Glover Getting introduced awesome. as Miles Morales' uncle, because if you caught, uh, he says his name, and then he says, I have a nephew in the area. They basically confirm Miles Morales, the, uh, half-black, half-Hispanic Spider-Man, does exist. That was the Spider-Man that people campaigned Glover to play back in the day. So I think that's a nice sweat, nice little nod to Donald Glover. And also, he plays that so perfectly when he's like, nah man, I got ice cream. <laughs> you deserve that. <laughs> so I don't want to send anyone back in time. I'm just trying to stick someone up, man. <laughs> <laughs> One of the cool things I think they did in this was giving the suit some different powers, which I think was nice. Karen, the voice. Yeah. <laughs> and also the the scene when he's trapped inside the what the silo or whatever and mm-hmm. he's like okay how long has it been and she's like it's been 37 minutes he's like oh no <laughs> yeah the movie was quite funny and it left out spidey sense which i think was cool we got a lot of spice in the, the previous ones nice you do different direction here although there is rumor from the marvel whatever thing this weekend conference d23 that apparently you might see it in the trailer I mean, yeah, I mean, that'd be cool. I mean, uh, either way, it wasn't a focus of this movie, which I thought was cool. And also kind of bringing it all together, this movie was grounded and had small stakes. You know, it's basically taking place in Queens and when they go on their field trip to D.C. You know, this isn't about the destruction in New York City. It's just about a guy stealing shit and Spider-Man trying to stop him as he learns the job on the fly. And that was shepherded along by the fact that Robert Downey Jr. was in this movie just enough. He didn't dominate the movie. It wasn't Iron Man Homecoming. He was in there just enough, which I thought was awesome. 
good use of RDJ. So what, uh, Marvel's and uh, finishing Phase Three and entering Phase Four soon? Yeah, I think Phase Three ends next. Is it next? No, no, it'll end when the the second infin the final Infinity War movie, whatever it's actually called. Uh, I believe that's the last one. So we'll get uh, Thor Ragnarok in November. Then we get Black Panther in February. Then we get Infinity War in May. And then I believe the Infinity Blank, the, the next one, Avengers, is the May after that. And they already confirmed that Homecoming 2 will kickstart Phase 4, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be in Phase 4 after both Infinity Wars. So within, I guess, the next maybe 18 months, we should get another one of those big, like, presentations of, like, the slate to come, which will be really exciting because, oh, and Captain Marvel will come out before then, too. But given where we're at, I mean, the possibilities are endless, you know, how far along MCU is and how successful they are. But the fact that they got one of their, got their most popular character, the most popular Marvel character is Spider-Man, and they finally got him right on all accounts. And that's what makes this movie so great. So I'm very happy with it. Marvel didn't necessarily need Spider-Man to be this awesome, but they nailed it. So take it. Add add another uh, card to their deck, right? Also, shout out Hot Aunt May. Marissa Tomei. Oh my god, Marissa Tomei. And they were like in, a, and they like in on the joke with it too, like with the dialogue yeah. and stuff. So. She hasn't. I haven't uh, seen yeah. Marissa Tomei Again. look that good in a long time. Yeah, familiar but different. Both Marissa Tomei and Spider-Man: Homecoming. That's also just as just a quick aside, but apparently uh, one of the things that was at this like Disney thing was the Last Jedi, some behind-the-scenes footage, and everybody's saying the movie looks super awesome. Of course it does. Was there no, was there any no, doubt? Uh, Come on. There's been no negative press about Ryan Johnson's filming of Episode Eight, as we said before. So, I, I think the only reason there was even like a shadow of a doubt was just because I think as time goes on, we can look back and say The Force Awakens definitely had some problems as a movie, but it's just a lot of fun. You know, it was great to be back in that world, and they brought back it the, job. the feeling of it. Right. Exactly. So it was kind of like, eh, is that the way all these movies are gonna be? But it seems like this one's yeah. gonna be like. I think Last Jedi obviously will be dark, but it's not going to be a carbon copy of Empire the way Force Awakens was similar in many ways to A New Hope. Any last thoughts for the culture, Dave? Honestly, do do your homework for next week, because as we said before, this Friday, a ton of albums coming out. Foster the People, Tyler, uh, if you care about Lana Del Rey, don't tell us because we don't give a fuck. Dunkirk, I'm going to see Valyrian, I'll report back on that. I'll watch it for me and Pat, so... Yeah! We'll have plenty to talk about this week, so... Yeah! About all that shit. And, uh, yeah, there's more m- more music's happening, too. We'll talk about that uh, next week as well. And so. Game of Thrones. We'll, we'll be updating you a little bit every week. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely tweet at the show, at Nostalgia Pod, yep. about Thrones, about all of these movies. What are your favorite movies so far this year? It's I think it's been a good year. I've been in the theaters a shit ton, so... Kyber, Not even a maester. <laughs> all right so uh if you have any thoughts on what you want us to talk about or anything else as dave said at nostalgia pod leave us an itunes review share us with friends we love you we'll see you next week peace, peace. out all my days, I pray.